But what I want to talk about for a few minutes today is the gospel, what it is. I'm going to spend most all my time on what it is. I'm going to spend maybe one minute on what it's not. But I'm, I have been, when I, well, I have studied the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for 10 straight years. Every week I put some part of my study into that. And the way I like to think of the gospel and what I want to try and I'm going to say this as though I'm telling a story today, but don't think story as in fiction. I'm just telling the gospel story. And when I think of the gospel, the whole gospel, I, I, I sometimes reduce the gospel down to its lowest common denominator. Y'all will hear me say death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And that is. That's the, very, that's the nucleus of it. But out of that, there's so much more to be said. It's such a beautiful thing. The gospel meaning good news, good tidings, good communications. There's so much more to it. So much more beauty to it. So many more faces to it that I think of it as a diamond. A diamond has many faces or facets. Each one intrinsically part of that diamond and each one radiant of their own self. When you look at a diamond and you move it, it appears to sparkle. And that to me is how I see the gospel of Jesus Christ. One face being the forgiveness of sins. One face being peace with God. One face being the promise of eternal life. So the gospel is like a diamond to me. Unbreakable, everlasting, and beautiful on every face. In, well, let me say this first. Part of why I think I woke up with this on my mind. Did the Lord put it on my mind? I, I don't know. I'd like to think so, but it may just be me. But I know that y'all know this, and I've talked about this so many times, but I, I'll be honest with you. I never, ever get tired of talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I never do. And I hope that it never bores you guys, I hope that you never feel like, well, I've grown past the gospel. Just talk to me about this. Talk to me about that. Let's just learn some history stuff. We never really grow past the gospel. I have always said if the word of God is a two-edged sword, the tip, the point of that sword is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can never go, you never really go beyond that. It's the pinnacle of the sword. And so what I woke up with on my mind was that you hear people say and quote and talk about the gospel of Jesus a lot of times, but they're, they're really missing it. They're, it's, they're not actually, what they're talking about is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're talking about something else. Like if y'all was on Facebook any for the last three days, and I hate dragging Facebook into this, so it's going to be real brief, but you know, you see a lot of people that'll say, now that's the gospel. That, uh, that men somehow have been given this power to you know, name it and claim it or speak it and it be and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's not the gospel. It has nothing at all to do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it were true, which it isn't. But even if it were true that we could just command the winds and seas at our own will, even still, that's not the gospel. And so when people say, oh, that's the gospel, that's the message that 
this is like the message is that somehow or other God became a man and died to empower me to have control over the material universe. No, not, not only not true, but even if it was true, it's not the gospel. And I have heard a lot of people say of other things that, that God sent the Holy Spirit to give us power to overcome sin, and that's the gospel. No, that's also not the gospel. Through the power... The sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost in us, yes, we do. The Spirit of God creates in us a repentant heart at times. Yes. Yes, makes us aware. Yes. Uh, but that, it's not, the gospel is not that God sent the Spirit of God into our hearts. That's one beautiful face of it. But it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel that God came down to somehow just help men be better. That's not it either. The gospel is all within the person, the divinity, deity, and man of Jesus Christ. And in the, in the Bible itself, it's called the glory, uh, the greatness of the gospel. It's referred to as the gospel of grace. We'll look at these all briefly. The gospel of your salvation. I love the word your being there. It's not just the gospel of salvation. It's your salvation. The good news of your, it's personal. The gospel of peace. Again, these are all faces on a single diamond. The gospel of forgiveness. Now, in the Bible, it's never worded exactly that way. Whereas it is worded, the gospel of grace, the gospel of peace, uh, the men, Ministry of reconciliation. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the gospel of forgiveness, part of the, the part of the heart of the gospel is forgiveness, and we'll look at that. And then last but not least, immortality is part of it. Eternal life, what we would call life everlasting, life that never ends, the true life, the life that is in God. And immortality is the word. That immortality has been brought to light through the gospel. It says that. And we'll address that verse. But what I want to do is rather, I just want you guys, and I know that y'all do, but let me let's, let it be a refresher course and a reminder of the true beauty. The true beauty. Because when, when people get involved in talking about all this other stuff, they all the time want to come at you and be like, oh, you'll get it one day. Oh, you'll see it one day. Oh, you'll understand one day that you have this power, you know, that you're basically a little God and... Oh, that you've been given this authority. And oh, they say, oh, it's such a beautiful thing. Let me tell you, compared to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that is hideous. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is heart-piercing, heart-moving, mind-changing, love-creating, sanctifying. It is amazing. It truly is. The true story of our Lord Jesus Christ is the most amazing thing that ears will ever hear in this life or in the life to come. And so, I wanted to start in Luke 2. Let me throw out one more thing before we go on, because I don't want to forget this. If you go through and look at this quote, Gospel of, you know, you'll find Gospel of Grace in there a time or two. You'll find Gospel of Peace a time or two. But the one you find the most all throughout is the gospel of Jesus or the gospel of our Lord Jesus or the gospel of Christ or the gospel of God. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what it is. And at his conception even, right at, right at the time of his birth, angels from heaven came and announced 
the gospel. And it's here in Luke. Look at verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you gospel. That gospel, that's what that means right there. Good tidings. Behold, I bring you the gospel of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you, unto you who? Unto all people. Unto the people of earth. Not just the people of Israel, but all nations would be blessed by this gospel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It could basically say, and this is what it means, unto you is born this day a Savior, which is God. Christ meaning Messiah, Lord meaning ruler or God. Unto you is born this day a Savior, which is God. God became a man. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That's angels. A multitude of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And listen to this part. And on earth, what? Peace. Peace. And goodwill toward men. If it's toward men, it's not from men. It's from God. Peace and goodwill out of the heart and the abundant grace of God. Peace and goodwill toward man in sending his son to be born of a man to live and instruct and teach and enlighten and reveal the truth of God to man. But let's stop and think about it for a minute. I thank God that I was born when I was born. I'm in the era of the knowledge of Christ being readily available. But what if we weren't? I think it would do us good sometimes to do a little bit of an intellectual exercise and think about what if we were born 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago? What if we were born in another nation and and the truth of God? Now, like I have said before, the truth of God, the existence of God, and the love of God is evident in the creation. The Bible itself tells us that, that the heavens declare His glory. And the firmament shows his handiwork. But we, we have been born into a world where we all at least knew there is a Savior if I will call on him. It's my choice to call him or not. But what if you didn't even have that hope? You know, that's what is said in Ephesians of the Gentile nations. That at that time, that they, it says it that they were without God in the world. Having no hope. Their understanding darkened. They were captives of sin. Captives. Of Satan and didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. I really believe, well, I believe that every man from Adam down to us has similar things in their heart. Men do not want to die. Death is sad. It's become a trendy thing to celebrate at funerals and, oh, if we, you know, we're going to bury this one with a party. Well, I mean, you can do that if you want to, but you're denying the reality that death is sad. And death in this life is final. And men do not want to die. Men, I mean mankind. We don't want to. Maybe 
at a certain age and after so many pains and in a condition of pain and feeling completely hopeless, the pain itself becomes so great that you do say, I want to die. But men don't want to die. There's a verse that's in Ecclesiastes, and I'm not sure that this is exactly what it means, but this is what many commentators say that it means, that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And so imagine, though, I, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. And I'm accustomed now to this Christianity and this salvation, this spirit of God in me. And it's a great comfort. But let's imagine for a moment it's not there anymore. And when you die, you're done, man. And your life is virtually meaningless. You're never going to get to see any of your family ever again. You just go into dirt and that's it. There is no eternity. That's, that's like an unbearable world to live in. I wouldn't, you know, men don't want that to be true. It's not true, but it's in the hearts of men to not want that to be true. And if you, and this is why the world still needs the gospel preached. This is why we still need to learn it and be refreshed in it daily. It's if that is your worldview, the good news is going to mean something to you, man. That, hey, not only is there a God that made everything, but you can be right with him right now. There's not a laundry list of things you got to do. You can be right with the Lord right now. Not only that, but if you are, there's a promise of eternal life. And not just, not just life, eternal life in a prison, eternal life floating in the ether of space. No, eternal life in the most beautiful place that man has never seen. And we can only try and imagine... Not just eternal life in a beautiful place like heaven, like she was talking about earlier, but eternal life with all of your friends and family who also put their faith in Jesus Christ. But you don't have to lose them. You can know them forever. Eternal life in the presence of God. A lot of people fear that rather than look forward to that because of a lack of understanding about God. But the gospel, when it first came to people... You know, I think that they couldn't help but do what they did and rejoice because they believed what the angels had said and they rejoiced in their heart. Death is not final. I will not lose my family for eternity. Only for a very blink of an eye, temporary time, and that's only because I'm most likely going to die before she does because she's going to be one of these that's like 115. And I'll probably not even make it to 60. Okay? But a blink of an eye. The gospel is beautiful, guys. Who cares about whether or not I could say, storm, be still? Who cares, man? I mean, sure, that might look cool to some people. But you know what I want? Eternal life with God. With my family and all that believe. You know what I want? Deliverance. From sin. Let's look at what else he says. Turn two chapters over. Look at chapter 4. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord, Jesus speaking. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. Notice, semicolon. Everywhere else in this verse, just comma. And the reason for that is, he's about to explain to us, what is the gospel to the poor? 
What do you mean, Lord? Oh, he hath anointed me. Or sorry, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Let's stop. We're going to stop. just keep that keep the Bible open on that chapter right there. Because we're going to look at this right here. Because this is the faces of the gospel too. Heal the brokenhearted. Listen, I, of course, God is the God of all comfort. And I prayed to God, and I prayed last night, and I will continue to pray, not only for Nika and her family, but for my family. Not necessarily me. I have the comfort of the Lord with me. But I have a young brother who's about to lose his dad, and he's not going to be comforted. And he hasn't been raised like I was. I don't think he knows Christ at all. Can God heal the brokenhearted in that sense? Absolutely. A broken heart because of a broken marriage. God can heal it. A hundred percent. But the meaning here, the emphasis, the greatest emphasis is have you ever, and if you've not, I wonder, maybe we need to learn some other things. Have you ever been broken hearted over your sin? Man, I have. I'm telling you, I have. There is no regret like the regret of sin. It's one thing to accidentally run a car into a tree and make a huge mess for a lot of people, a lot of financial things involved, a lot of destruction and a lot of pain. But it's another thing to willingly do something that you end up looking back and like, man, I don't even have respect for myself anymore. It's heartbreaking. Really, it is. When you kind of come to your senses and you get out of that, that powerful deception that the world, the flesh, and the devil can put on you, and you stand up again like a man one day, you say, I don't even want to look back at that. I don't want to. But then it's also like he said, you're going to fall again. Hopefully into something different, but we don't know for sure. And when it says here, that he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I want you to understand something. Jesus will heal the heart of a broken man or a brokenhearted man because of a relationship or whatever. But that is not why God put on flesh and became a man to die for the sins of the whole world was to fix a boyfriend-girlfriend situation. No. It's the broken heart of sin. Brokenhearted that sin has separated man from his maker. Forever without Christ, it's a forever separation. That's heartbreaking. That's hopelessness. And if we could travel back in time to before Christ and before we had heard this word of God, we would if we were true seekers. You would be broken hearted. Lord, make us away. We're helpless. We are helpless without you. So when it says he came to heal the broken hearted, it's talking about the broken hearted. In sin. How does he do that? Let me read you a verse. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, by the way, it's Acts chapter 13, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are forgiven of all things. Thank God for that one. Let's put that one on Facebook. Because who cares about calming the storm when the storm is the sin inside and the hurt that it's caused you and your family and everyone around you and the pain and the regret and the shame 
And the David in Psalm 51, the broken and contrite spirit, man, Lord, wash me, cleanse me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Please. That is the gospel on face of it. That through this man, Jesus Christ, let me read you the whole verse. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from, justified means declared righteous, forgiven, justified from all things which you could not be, justified by the law of Moses. Another verse, Colossians 2.13, And you, being dead in your sins and trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That heals a broken heart. Yes, there's still some remnants of regret in all of us. And we need to actually work on that. And one of the best things that will do away, help you get over some regrets, is live a sanctified life. And over time, you will also be able to forgive yourself to an extent. And I know that when we enter into eternity, and I look forward to this day, the memory of past sins will be gone. That's promised. So Jesus Christ came to heal the brokenhearted. What else does he say? Luke 4, 18, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. We, before Christ, the Bible says, were taken captive by Satan at his will. And what Brother Mike was talking about earlier, and what I'm talking, I agree with him, and what I'll say now, is we still need deliverance sometimes, but guess what? We have deliverance waiting. All it takes is the request from the heart to God, and he will deliver us. It's just getting that flesh in a condition to be ready to make that request is the hardest part of the problem. But we have a deliverer. We are not, and we do not have to be subject to Satan at his will. We are not his slaves. We have been redeemed. Redeemed means we've been bought. We was in the hands of the devil, but Christ said, no, those are mine. And he purchased us. And so now, when we fall, it is because of decisions we make. Thank God that when we do, he delivers. He delivers, and he will continue to deliver. Deliverance to the captives in Acts is said this way. Jesus, when he appeared to Paul and said, Paul, Paul, or actually at that time it was Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? This is what Jesus said to him. He said, stand upon your feet. You know, I've called you and this is what I want you to do. This is the verse, 26, 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness. He's saying, I'm sending you, Paul, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. For what? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in me. So the true gospel delivers people from sin. And the wages of sin, the eternal wages of sin. Again, keeping in mind, 
retain it as much as we can. When people come and tell you, oh, if you believe the gospel, you'd be able to do this, that, and the other. It's like, man, I don't even think you believe the gospel. I don't even think you know what the gospel is because the true gospel is the most beautiful thing that I've ever heard in my life. The true gospel works right here. We talked about, it's called the gospel of peace. It means peace with God. There's no greater thing to, than to be able to lay down at night and know I've got peace with my maker. I mean, you can speak all the stuff you want to speak, but you can't speak peace into my heart with my maker, but the gospel of God can. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has put peace between me and my maker. Verse 18 still. I think I skipped a part, and if I did, I'm sorry. Okay, let's see. Heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. Those two go hand in hand. And to set at liberty them that are bruised. There's a lot of different views on that right there. And I can't say for sure. But I know this is the way I understand that verse. Sin leaves a stain. Sin doesn't just, you know, cause you to feel bad. It really destroys. It beats you to death. It'll bruise you up. If you've been, and I've always said this, if you want to know if I've started living a life in sin, you won't have to ask me. Just look at me. Just look at my home. Just look at my farm. The decay of sin will begin to spread. And you'll see it. Because it does destroy everything that it touches. And I know if you've ever dealt with sin, and if you really understand the nature of sin, I've preached this before, that the Bible often talks about sin as though it's a being. I mean, even the very first time we're introduced to sin, it says, He lieth at the door and desires to rule over you. Speaking of sin, that He's waiting to ambush you, that He's setting traps for you, referring to it as a person. It's not a person, but it has such personal traits to it that it is described that way very often. Well, sin... And bruises, what are bruises but blood, internal bleeding right under the skin where you can see it. And sin will beat you to pieces. And you'll walk around looking bruised and battered when you've been living in it for very long at all. And bruises last a while. And like I said, it leaves a stain. The stain of sin is guilt. And there's nothing that can wash that bruise away, that internal bleeding away, than the blood of Christ. And we carry, I think, sometimes, even when the bruises are gone, we still carry it in our mind and in our heart. And I think about even, you know, there, there's this uh, thing called Stockholm Syndrome, where the, the captive that's been beat to death and imprisoned and kidnapped and held forever ends up falling in love with their captor. Sometimes it seems like Christian people struggle with that, but all I want to say about it is this. We can be free, Brother Mike, from the bruises that's been left on us by sin. And if it's not talking about sin, okay, so the devil, we can be free from that too. It says, set at liberty them that are bruised. We must understand that's a spiritual meaning. He does not talk, he's not talking about people in the UFC cage doing fighting. He's talking about spiritual bruises. Man, I got some spiritual bruises. 
And I believe y'all do too. I believe that everyone who's really set their heart to live for the Lord for 10 years has got some bruises on them. And we can look at them and it's like they're continual reminders. But listen, God says, and if God can do it, it's not wrong for me to try and do it. God says that he will remember their sins and iniquities no more. That he would remove them from them as far as the east is from the west, which is really infinity. So, there's even a verse in Hebrews, I'm not going to get into this. But it speaks of having no more conscience of sin. Obviously, it doesn't mean that we're not conscious of our sin. But you know, I guess it would help. I grew up in a religion. I was going to say, I guess it would help if I explain this to y'all. I grew up in a religion. And I was devoted to it. I went to church four times a week for 21 years. Four times a week, every week. My, both my parents quit and I would walk. Three miles a day to church by myself when I was 12 years old. And I did that until I got a car and could drive. And I stayed going to that church until I was 21 years old. And they taught that if you sin one time, you're going to hell forever. Forever. Once you come to know the Lord, they teach if you sin once, you're going to hell forever. And there is no forgiveness in living that life. And when I came out of that church and I had that that way of thinking in my mind. I had no liberty. They had created for me a mental prison of feeling condemned forever, unsavable, without hope. But when I come to believe in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, in the blood of Christ, I have been set free. You know, the Bible says, if the Son shall make you free, you're free indeed. I have been set free from that. It's, I never ever and don't ever think that I'm like saying it's okay if you sin. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that you've got a deliverer. You've got a, a, a savior. You've got the grace of God. You've got peace with God. And you don't have to let it do what it did in that religion. Hold you down for the rest of your life and never get over it. I mean I still have family in that. That when they were 18 or whatever, they had grown up in this doctrine and they sinned one time and they got kicked out of the church and they won't even go to church anywhere else because they feel like it's hopeless. They're captive to a false teaching. And so that liberty to me is very important. I don't have to carry around an every single day regret. I just pick, as the Bible says, a righteous man falleth seven times, but he gets up. Each time. Pick yourself up and get going. Last. And I'm almost done. I didn't mean to go this long, honestly. How is this possible? Because honestly, to the wisdom of man, everything I have just said is foolish. And impossible. How is it possible that I can be delivered, that I can have liberty, that I can lay down and have peace with God. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinner. All human beings have sinned. How is it possible that I can be in the condition that I'm in? And that's where the heart of the diamond. You know, all diamonds are shaped in such a way that they all come down to a pinnacle point. And that point right there is the heart of the diamond where Jesus Christ himself sits and it's this. Let me word it very carefully in this way so that you understand. This is how. Jesus Christ died 
in my place. Keywords. I know I've been talking for a minute, but give me your attention for just five more minutes. It's not just that Christ died for sins. It's that Christ died in my place for my sin. He's the eternal God. He can do that. Yes, it was one death of Christ for all the sin of the world one time. But don't think that my literal listed out sins wasn't nailed to that cross. It's not what people think that Christ just died for sin in general. No, it was Mike's sin. It was Andy's sin. It was Katrina's sin. Your sins. If you listed them out every time you committed them throughout your whole life, that 200 foot long scroll of Stephen Brown's sin and whatever the total debt of that was, was in his body on that cross. It's not just that he died for sins, but he died for my sin. Mine. Mine have been paid. Yours too. But he died in my place for my sin. All of you can say that to yourself. I don't mean you have to do it right now. I'm not trying to manipulate a crowd. I just want you to understand. That's the truth. In Alan's place. Alan, it should have been you. It should have been me. It should have been all mankind on seven billion crosses. But it isn't. So, Christ died for my sin in my place on the cross. And that is how I can have peace with God. Second, this is a very important part of the cross of Christ. The wrath of God. The, okay, the wages of sin is death. But that's not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is something different. The wrath of Almighty God. And listen, He's fully justified to be wrathful over our sin. We destroyed the universe, essentially, with sin. We destroyed each other. It's a God of love must also be a God of wrath. He must. If there's no wrath, there's no love. I mean, if you come into my home and you rip my family apart, I'm going to tell you, my wrath will not be subsided until you're all dead. The wrath of God was satisfied in the body of Jesus Christ. If you read Isaiah 53, it says God, God made him to be sin for us. That God put him on the cross. And here's the part where the wrath comes in. If you ever study the Old Testament about the day of the Lord and the wrath of God, there was always this sign spoken of 13 times in the Old Testament that the sun would be darkened and the moon would be darkened as a sign of the great day of the Lord and that His great wrath had come. Well, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, the sun refused to shine and it says the whole earth was dark for three hours. It was a sign that had been prophesied for 2,000 years of Old Testament history that this is the evidence of the wrath of God coming upon earth. And it did, but you know what? No one felt it that day except Christ. It'll come again in the future. The sixth seal 
And all who have not been born again, all who have not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will feel what Christ felt that day. And it says, the chief captains and the mighty men and the rich men hide themselves in the dens and in the caves of the rocks, saying, hide us from the face of the land, for the great day of his wrath is come. It'll come again. But I want you to understand, when you read the New Testament and you read the Gospels, it's not only did Christ die for your sin, he also suffered the wrath of God for your sin. That's how, that's what reconciliation means. You understand that? You were God's enemy. While we were enemies, Christ died for us, it says. Much more than now being saved by his life, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus Christ, here's the point, everything needed, everything needed to procure for you eternal life and peace in the presence of your maker. All of it was paid in the man, Jesus Christ. All of it. All of it. The wrath of God, listen, at this point, if the wrath of God comes upon you, then God would be unjust. Because he put it on his son for you. Because that's what his son wanted. At this point, if you went to hell over your sin, God would be unjust. Now I'm talking about if you've truly been born again, if the spirit of God indwells your body, and you are now called sons and daughters of God, it's all been done. It's all been done. He left no part undone. How do I know? He was, raised, he was raised from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ went on that cross and made his soul an offering for my sin. That's what Isaiah 53 says. That he would pour out his soul on the death, but God has made his soul an offering for sin. Jesus Christ made his soul the offering. The picture of the offering that we've seen in the whole Old Testament, Jesus Christ became that lamb for us. Put himself on the cross right there, on the altar of God, and made his soul an offering for our sin. But only if he's truly unblemished, if he's truly perfect, will he be accepted. If there was a sin spot on the Lord Jesus Christ, he would not have been accepted. So how do we know? Well, because he was declared to be the Son of God by the power of the resurrection. He, the Bible says he was delivered... For our offenses, which is our sins, our iniquities, and our trespasses. But he was raised for our justification. That's how we know. His offering for our sin was accepted. And that's how, through his blood, we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. That our sin debt is gone. And now, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ on me. He sees the blood on the doorpost. When the death angel comes, he doesn't see the me. He sees the Christ in me. That, my friends, that is the gospel. That, as is said of Abraham, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was not weak in faith and staggered not the promises of God but was strong, being fully persuaded that he who had made the promise was able to perform it, and therefore God imputed it to him for righteousness. Oh, but wait, it was not written for his sake alone, but for us also who believe in God, it shall be imputed. Righteousness, not just the sin, listen, as certainly as the sin was taken out of my account, 
and paid for. It's just as certain that his righteousness was put into mine. It's 100% sure. And both of them are taught all throughout Scripture. I wish I, I mean, I wish I just had hours. How do I partake of this? How do I receive this free gift of the gospel? How do I receive this free timing? By faith. What does that mean? Well, it's not faith in Buddha. It's not faith in Krishna. It's not faith in Muhammad. But it's not faith in Stephen. It's not faith in the preacher. It's not faith in some potion. It's not faith in a formula. If you say things this way and tag in Jesus' name on there. It's not faith in any type of magical thing. It's not faith in works. It's not faith that one day I'll find the fountain of youth. It's faith in Christ. In Christ alone. What does faith in Christ alone mean? That He is my Savior. That His love is big enough to count me in too. That His righteousness has been put into my account. As Paul said, that he is able to commit that or to keep that which I have committed to his trust. And I'm done. And I'm sorry I got emotional. But if it sounds too good to be true, then maybe you're actually hearing it right for the first time. Because the gospel does sound too good to be true to the ears of man. The gospel does sound. Paul was challenged constantly. When Paul would go and preach the gospel, they were like, what are you saying? That we can sin? Because that's what it sounded like he's saying. If you're taking him wrong, which he says, no. But he says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The gospel is the most beautiful thing that you'll ever hear in your life. And it is 100% tied up lock, stock, and barrel in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so don't ever let anybody tell you that it's something over here or it's something over there. Because it isn't. And when you study on it, and you think on it, and you reflect on it, I just want y'all to know today, we're done, I'm done, I'm sorry I'm rambling, but when you go home today, I want you to know, from the absolute, every, if the salt has molecules, I want you to know it in every single molecule. If you have believed in what I have said, you have eternal life in you right now, you have been forgiven of all of your sins, every single one, and you will not come into condemnation, but you have passed from death to life. And Jesus Christ provided every single speck of that for you by his own free will out of his own love. And all you have to do is receive it and be thankful. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel. It's the most encouraging, uplifting, peace-bringing, love-bringing, sanctifying thing you're ever going to hear in your life. And when you die, it only gets better. It only gets better. So, I'm done.